0: a beautiful view or a place you were maybe with loved ones or family and you just thought I wish this could last forever. This is a bit like heaven to me. I wish I hadn't to go home or go back to work tomorrow. It was just beautiful, a really beautiful experience. Think of that now and hold it in your mind. Just recapping, we're on our series in Mark. The Gospel of Mark divides into three acts. Act one is Jesus in his public ministry, performing miracles, teaching the public. Act two, his private ministry to his disciples before he goes to the cross, teaching his disciples. Act three, his death and resurrection. And here in chapter nine, the verses we read this morning, uh, the transfiguration, were in his, uh, his private ministry to, this, to the disciples. He's preparing them for what lies ahead. And in these verses in chapter 9, six days earlier, uh, the disciples finally got who Jesus was. In chapter 8, verse 29, Peter had confessed, you are the Christ. It's the right conclusion. It's the answer that the Gospels gave. Messiah or Christ is Christos. It means anointed in Hebrew. It's not a name. Jesus is his name. Uh, you shall call his name jesus christ is the title which means anointed god's anointed one god's promised chosen prophet priest and king the ultimate prophet priest and king and the disciples had got it and just as they had got it jesus dropped a bombshell he said he was going to be killed he's going to die and rise from the dead again they couldn't believe it They couldn't get their heads around it. Not sure they got the rising from the dead part. They certainly got, he's going to be killed. So much so, you remember, Peter took Jesus aside and he reprimanded them and said, this will never happen to you. But when they realized he meant it, there would have been a sense of doom and gloom around them. This impending doom would have been heavy on their hearts and minds. And then comes this incredible event Jesus' transfiguration, one of the most amazing events in the Bible. And it's an event from which we can take great hope for in our everyday lives. You see, Peter was committed definitely to the glory, but not the cross. To the exaltation, but not the humiliation. The cross was a stumbling block for Jews and for the disciples. It's very difficult for them to handle... Uh, to handle it, to to understand what was going to happen. You remember when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered and they left him and Peter denied him. The cross was horrendous for them. They went down a road of suffering themselves. All the disciples died as martyrs except John who dies as an old man in exile on an island. Suffering was coming for Jesus and suffering was coming for them. And they needed to be able to survive the suffering. If you want more seats, there's some seats here. There's plenty of seats in the front, actually, if you want to come on up. There's there's seats up here. They needed to be able to survive and have the strength and endurance to get through the suffering which lay ahead. So Jesus takes his inner circle of disciples high up on a mountain, most likely Mount Hermon, and he moves their faith to sight. It's the only time in the New Testament this happens. Jesus lets them see something like this visually. He lets them see his glory. What Peter said by faith, he now saw by sight. This is the single greatest miracle in the New Testament outside of the resurrection. It's an account that's also recorded for us in Matthew chapter 17 and in Luke chapter 9. In these verses, God gives us focus for everyday life and direction of what we are to do when we face difficulties and trouble and trials and the way ahead is difficult for us. Four things we can learn from these verses. One, look at the glory of Jesus. Secondly, find joy in the work of Jesus. Thirdly, rest in the sufficiency of Jesus. And lastly, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus. So let's look first at looking at the glory of Jesus. Why was this miracle done? Why the transfiguration? It was to anchor the disciples' confidence uh, in confidence of the glory to follow the suffering. It was to anchor the disciples in confidence of the glory to follow the suffering. Jesus knew they were going to struggle with what lay ahead, but he wanted them to see what was going to come afterwards. The transfiguration is the visible revelation of the glory of the nature of Christ. The Gospels were written so that we may know that Jesus is the Son of God. And here is the greatest evidence in the New Testament. That's who he is outside of the resurrection. Assurance by sight that he is God. These men knew that God had appeared in the Old Testament To people in the past, always associated with light, partial glimpses of his glory, shown to people always to strengthen and encourage them. Never did God show himself as magnificently as in these verses we've just read this morning. Even in the Old Testament, no one saw what they saw. Jesus knew that now the disciples needed that sight, having come to believe in who he was, because of what he had done, because of what he had said. But now having given them this bad news of his impending death, he knew they needed sight. And what they see is incredible. It has a lasting impact on their lives. The Greek word for transfiguration, trans meaning cross, transatlantic, we cross the Atlantic, figuration meaning a change of of form, uh, the Greek word comes from, is metamorpho, from where we get the word metamorphosis. And um, the, the word me- meta means change, and morph means body, exterior, or form. In Romans, It's the same word in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where we read these words. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be metamorphized, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same word. It's a a, a, a radical change or transformation. Jesus had always had this glory, of course, but when he came to earth, it was veiled. Veiled as a baby in a manger, veiled as a carp carpenter growing up. Only when he began his public ministry, people got to see glimpses of his glory. Like when he healed people, when he fed large crowds with a few fish and a few loaves, when he raised people from the dead, when he calmed the storm, when the disciples said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They saw glimpses of his glory, but visually, Jesus looked like any other man. But here on this mountain, the glory of Jesus is revealed like no other time on earth. And it was incredible. The next time we'll see what they saw is when we are in heaven with him or when he returns to earth. Matthew records that his face shone like the sun. Now you know how bright that the sun is. It reminds us of somebody else whose face shone. Moses' face also shone having spent 40 days on the mountain in the presence of God and in that case Moses wanted to see God but God said no one can see me and live. So he hid him in a cleft and he said I'll show you just the back of my glory. And Moses got a glimpse of the back of his glory. No one had seen his face shine like the disciples saw here today. And in Moses' case, he came down from the mountain. They had to veil his face from the people. It was so bright. But his face wasn't the source of the light. He was reflecting the glory of God. Jesus here is the source. His face is the source of that glory and light. It's good, isn't it, to spend time in God's presence. It changes us, doesn't it? We begin to reflect his glory when we spend time in his presence, part of the renewing of our minds. It's possible this uh, miracle happened at night. Now, we don't know. It doesn't say, but it's possible the disciples were sleepy. They had fallen asleep. That might be part of what happened. And also we have the story when Jesus was born. You will remember a similar event happened. The shepherds were out in their fields, and they saw the night sky filled with amazing light when the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That angel was reflecting the glory of God in his very form, and he created all of that light. Can you imagine what that was like then? It begins to give us a taste of what Peter, John, and Andrew saw here. In any case, they were woken by this intense Light And they knew it wasn't coming from the sun or the moon or the stars. It was coming from Jesus himself. How does this radiance of Jesus, this metamorphosed uh, Jesus, help us in our lives? Well, Jesus, as we said, had told his disciples he was going to die. John, seeing Jesus in his glory and brilliance here, would in a few months see his face beaten and scarred, beyond recognition and after six hours hanging on the cross john would see the light in jesus face go out as he died these disciples need to know that this is not the end for jesus as he hangs on the cross so here on the mountain before all these events unfold before they go through this difficult time ahead in fact for the rest of their lives he gives them this sight of his glory. His glory to follow the suffering and death so that they could see what was to follow, what was to come. That's what we need every day, isn't it? That's what we need when the way ahead is hard. Jesus is now victorious in glory in heaven. Suffering and death were not the end for him, nor are they for us when we trust and believe in him. When the way ahead is hard, look at the glory of Jesus and take encouragement and strength from it. Secondly, find joy in the work of Jesus. Not only uh, do the disciples see Jesus in this brilliant, perfect light, but Moses and Elijah also come and they see them talking to him. Why do they come? What's the significance of their appearing to Jesus at this time? Again, Jesus is about to face the cross. And six days earlier, when he told the disciples, they should have been strengthening and encouraging him. They did the opposite. And Peter scolded him and told him off. Jesus needed their support. So God sends Moses and Elijah instead to strengthen him. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane, God sent an angel to strengthen him there's so much benefit in encouraging and strengthening each other. Moses, it's hard to believe, he had died 1,400 years earlier. Elijah, 800 years earlier. And yet here they are, very much alive. And these are the most trustworthy witnesses the disciples could have had because they knew what these men represented. And they're very much um, alive. That's encouraging for us, isn't it? If ever we doubt heaven and what it's like, remember this event. Those who die trusting in Jesus are very much alive. Loved ones we have lost who died in Christ, we will see again as the disciples saw Moses and Elijah. So here these two are talking to Jesus. What did they talk about? Uh, we don't know exactly the words they said, uh, but Luke tells us they spoke about his departure In Jerusalem, They were talking to him about his coming death. They weren't talking about the glory and the splendor and the kingdom. They were encouraging and strengthening him for what lay ahead. What would they have said to him, I wonder, about his death? We have to imagine what they might have said. But we can speculate. Moses, God gave the law through him. So we can imagine that his encouragement would have been to speak to Jesus about his death in relation to the law. In your life, he would have said or might have said to Jesus, you fulfilled the law that was given through me. You never broke one iota of God's perfect law. No one else has ever done this. I didn't do it. Elijah here with me. He didn't do it. These disciples certainly haven't done it. Only you. You alone, Jesus, know the blessing that comes to those who keep the entire law. And now you will bear the curse of all those who have broken that law. You will stand in their place, and the curse that belonged to them will become yours, and the blessing that belonged to you will become theirs, will become ours. The great reverse, ver- reverse, verse, verse, verse. And Elijah, he was the greatest of the prophets, the disciples knew that. So, likely, he spoke to Jesus of his death in relation to prophecy. Jesus, he might have said, you are fulfilling all the words spoken by the prophets. They spoke of what you will suffer uh, and of how you will triumph, of how you will go through the darkest valley, but on the other side enter a joy that words cannot express. You will be exalted to the highest place and you will redeem an an innumerable number of people from every tribe and tongue and nation And one day, the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This is a perfect work, a work that gives us hope and a future and purpose and joy and peace in this life when we trust in Jesus. So when the way ahead is hard, find joy in the work of Jesus. And thirdly, rest in the sufficiency of of Jesus. Peter speaks. It seems Peter always seems to speak up, doesn't know how to stay quiet. He's in the habit of saying what comes to his mind. Um, But this is, remember the experience was so incredible and so intense, so beautiful. Um, And Peter just didn't want it to end. So he says, let's stay here and we'll build three shelters, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. You see, being in the presence of Jesus is beyond what words can describe, beyond what we can imagine, being in the presence of the glorified Lord. Now, whatever beautiful and incredible experience you brought to mind at the start of this message, what these men experienced makes that pale into insignificance. This was so incredible. The beauty of being in the presence of Jesus We imagine, we try to imagine what heaven is like. This is a picture. His presence alone will be so consuming, perfect, beautiful, peaceful. Uh, No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Peter just didn't want it to end. Basically, he was saying, let's stay here forever. Let's just stay here. This is perfect. I don't want to leave it. We wouldn't either. It was so wonderful. And as we work our way through this life, and as we trust in Jesus, remember that's what's ahead. Heaven is going to be beyond our wildest, um, uh, uh, the wildest things we we could possibly imagine. But Peter saw another opportunity here. It's hard to imagine he would say this again, but he was thinking, well, we could bypass the suffering, couldn't we? Stay here. Bypass the cross and the pain. Stay, it's fine here, and we could just go straight to glory from here. Why go back to face all of of that it's like Peter interrupts the encouragement that Moses and Elijah are bringing to Jesus as he faces the cross Uh, it's hard to believe because six days earlier he had rebuked him same thing Jesus there's no need to go for the cross you don't need to do that he's offering a bypass here again but the path to glory includes the path of suffering and trials Jesus was going to face that And so were the disciples. And so it is for us. We live in a sin-tainted world. We can't bypass the trials and the problems and the issues we will go through. But here's the point. Jesus is sufficient for us. He is sufficient for all we will go through in life. Our anchor is in him. And in verse 8 we read, they looked around and they no longer, it's a beautiful verse, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus He was all that remained. The preview of the kingdom is gone. The glorious light is gone. Moses and Elijah have gone. Only Jesus remains as they had seen him before, but now on his way to the cross. There's a message so clear for us in that. Jesus is all we need. He needs to be our anchor. We are on the way to be with him. If we're trusting in him, we will be with him in glory. But in the meantime, we will face challenges and difficulties and trials. We will face sadness, and and we will, of course, experience times of joy and happiness as well. Many of the supports or the supports we have come to depend on in life won't always be there. People and structures, finances, experiences. It's like God said to Peter and to the disciples here, Moses and Elijah, they've been a real blessing to you, and they would have been a blessing to them in their lives as they would have read the, scrip- the, the scriptures they had available to them. But Jesus says, all you need is me. All you need is me. When we trust in him, be assured he will never be taken from you. Other supports will, he never will. And that's why we read in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our constant He is sufficient for us all of the time. And lastly, listen to the words of Jesus. In verse 7, they were engulfed by a cloud and God appears on the scene. or At least God speaks. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Read his word. Spend time in his presence. One of the few times God speaks directly. And here what he's saying. Listen to him. And that's for us today as well. He's saying to the disciples, listen to what he has to say about his death. Understand it. Hear him. No cross, no glory. The cross is essential for mankind to experience the glory of God forever. And as they begin the journey back down the mountain, they talk to him and they're listening to what he says There's some maybe more unusual things as they come down the mountain. Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what they have seen until he has risen from the dead. Why would he say that? Because he didn't want people to to get mistaken, to misunderstand, to miss what the cross was about. They didn't want them to get taken up with the glory and think we can go straight to glory. This kingdom will come here on earth for us now. He didn't want them... He wanted them to be able to join the dots after he had risen from the dead. So he said, this is for you. Don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. Then it will make sense to you. And then he talks this uh, interesting discussion about Elijah as, he's, as they're coming down the mountain. I, um, I take it because they've just seen Elijah. And so it brings to mind um, things that had been said before about Elijah, because Elijah was to come first here to restore all things. What does this mean? Back in Matthew 11, Jesus said, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Who is the Elijah who was to come? Well, here Jesus was referring to Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, where we read, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Or else I will will come and strike the land with total destruction. This was John's message of repentance before Jesus came. And it seems now their understanding of the cross is deepening as they go down the mountain. They're beginning to join the dots up uh, linking Elijah to John the Baptist, and now the son of man who they walked with must suffer, as we read, much and be rejected. Maybe they're beginning to see now how all of that fits together, how Elijah spoke of John and John spoke of Jesus and Jesus' his need to go to the cross. Difficult days lay ahead for them, but they had seen his glory, and now they had a deep-set hope for the future which would sustain them in the years ahead. As we come to the end of this message, let's listen to some of the beautiful things Jesus has said. Let's listen to him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sorry, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14 6. And in Matthew 6 34, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. You worried about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, Trust me. And lastly, Matthew 28:20, 20, for surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I am with you always until when? Till the very end of the age, to the very end of this life here. And then, by faith in Christ, we will be with him in heaven. There are so many voices offering us opinions and guidance in life. Uh, so many voices wanting our minds. But as part of the renewing of our minds, let Jesus' voice be the loudest voice in your mind. Listen to him listen to him and experience the difference that makes in our lives so to conclude as peter came near the end of his life in first peter sorry in second peter we read well he's he's saying this to the people he writes to he says i think it is right to refresh your memory as long as i live in this tent of this body because i know that i will soon put it aside he knew he was going to die uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter knows the end is near. And of all the experiences he had been through in his life, and he had been through so many, hadn't he? He had been through so many. This is the one he recalls in 2 Peter 1.16. And he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we, are eye- we were eyewitnesses to, of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What did he mean there? He was referring to the transfiguration. That's what he meant. They saw the majesty. He saw the majesty of Jesus um, along with the other two disciples. He's talking about this mountaintop experience. And when I said earlier on that this, uh, this event, this miracle impacted their lives forevermore, this is evidence. This is evidence that this sustained, this, this vision was such a key help in Peter keeping going in faith and trusting in the Lord until the end of his life. And now he was, I take it, I'm sure, excited because now what he had tasted for just a few moments then, he knew he would enjoy forever. When he had said to Jesus, let's stay here and keep this now, he knew now he was going to be with Jesus and he would enjoy his glory forever and ever. So, as we walk and grow in our faith day by day, as we face difficulties in our lives, four things to remember from this magnificent miracle in Mark's Gospel. Look at the glory of Jesus. Remember what they saw and look and see. Find joy in the work of Jesus. Rest in the sufficiency of Jesus and listen to his words. It's lovely this morning that we're going to move to a time of communion because these verses are so fitting to, to do some of this. And, and as we come together to, to take bread and to take the juice, I want us to, to do just that. I want us to reflect and to think and to find joy in the work of Jesus on the cross. The great reverse, re, reverse, reverse, reversal I want you to imagine the scene in Jerusalem as Jesus is carrying his cross out to the hill to be hung on that cross. I want you to imagine that the only person on earth apart from him was you or me. And we're following him with that cross. Because the fact of the matter is, as we sang earlier on, our sin bore heavy on him. And if we had been the only person on earth, Jesus would have gone to that cross for us. For us. It's personal and as we take the bread and the wine to remember what he did this morning remember jesus's reversal for us he took our sin and we took the benefits of living a life that had never broken one iota of the law and was totally pleasing and perfect in god's sight and today as redeemed people that's how god sees us remember the sufficiency of what jesus did on the cross There is no sin beyond the reach of the cross. And whatever you have done, and whatever failings you have, however badly you feel you've let God down, there is no sin beyond the reach of the cross. Call out to him for forgiveness. And as we take the bread and the juice this morning, look at the glory of Jesus shining as he lives and dwells in heaven today and the hope we have that one day we will be with him again. So we're going to take...